great day that we get to look into God's Word together again and receive from Him by His Spirit. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, if you have one with you. And our text is going to be verses 35 to 38. Uh, before we read that, though, just a, a little brief review of where we're at, at right now. We are in a series uh, this whole summer on going and making disciples, uh, which involves the first part, evangelism, witness, sharing the gospel with people. Um, and beyond that, it also means training, equipping, folding them into the life of the church. That's all wrapped up in going and making disciples. Uh, our emphasis this summer is on the first part, on the evangelism part, on the going part, um, being involved in people's lives for the sake of the gospel. Um, and so we're, we're focusing on that. We started with four messages that had to do with motivation first, um, because we already know that guilt is not a very good motivator to go out and try and tell people about Jesus. Uh, we know that doesn't work. It was never intended to work. We have much better motivations for being out in the world and helping people to see that Jesus is a great Savior, the only Savior, the only answer for our sin. So we have motivations for doing that, going out with that message. Uh, we had four different messages on it. Um, first of all, one great motivation, because this is the greatest cause in the world to be a part of. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that means it's eternal. That means it's something that when you invest in, it, it will be worth it because it won't ever go away. It's, it's forever. You can't say that about most of the things that we do. A lot of what we do is, you know, forgotten months and weeks later. Not this, not, not building the church. Um, it's also how we love other people. You know, we love because God first loved us. There's a deposit that he puts in our lives where we want to become like Jesus, loving, going out with, with a message of grace. Um, so that's a natural response. There's real joy in it. So that was Pastor Dan's message. Um, it's like finding the lost coin. It's like finding the lost sheep. There's, there's joy in recovering something of value um, and that's of value to you. And so souls are valuable to God and should be to us. And then there's also the realities, the eternal realities. Todd brought those to us last week, that there's a heaven, uh, there's an eternal joy, there's a paradise to enter into, and there's also a hell, there's a place of eternal torment and punishment for sin. These are real things. And so that is also our motivation for going out with a message. I'll just add one more. Um, this is sort of a tie-in tie to Todd's message last week which is that Jesus is really the ultimate solution to all the problems of the world. In Revelation 21.5, we see that the one who is sitting on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. He's the one that brings into this world in part and into the world to come in total. He's the one who brings in the restoration, the relief, the joy that we're looking for. The answer to all of our problems, whether that's racism, whether that's whatever, the gospel is the ultimate solution to those things. And so we have these motivations to be about our Father's business and introduce people to Jesus Christ. So we start with motivation. So now we're going to talk about how do we do it, practically speaking. You've you got some motivation, let's assume, to do this. Now, what do we do next? What do we say? What do we do? So that's what the next four messages are about, including this one, um, which we can, we can coin in, in four different words. Uh, there's a process, you might say. Uh, four different words that all begin with the letter C. 
So there's connect, there's care, there's communicate, and there's commit. Those are the titles of the next four messages. Today's is on connect. And we borrowed that, that phrasing uh, from our sister church in Sydney, Australia. They put together some materials called C4, and we adopted that. Savannah did it all uh, together. She put together some cards. We got these flyers called C4. You probably can't see that on Zoom, but uh, it's in your e-bulletin. There's links to this um, process called C4. And so that's what these four messages are about, those four steps in introducing people to Jesus Christ. So today we start with connect. Uh, the starting point of making disciples is to connect with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And nobody can teach us more about doing this than Jesus himself. And so we're going to look at Matthew 9, 35 to 38, and learn from him and his example. So let's read that, and then we'll pray. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, uh, we want to pray like that and we want to be the answer to that prayer. There's a harvest, there's workers needed, but we have to start somewhere. And so we need your Holy Spirit now to, to uh, open this passage to us and give us ideas, give us practical first steps, put people's names in our minds this morning of who we might approach. Um, but Lord, I just thank you that you've invited us into this process of reaping something that you've sown, something that you're building which is your church. And so now, bless us by your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There's three things that Matthew says Jesus did in this passage that are going to form our outline. Three things that teach us about connecting with people. Three things Jesus did. He went, he saw, and he said. So that's our outline. That's what we, uh, we'll be learning from this morning. Let's just start with Jesus went. Verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. That's a summary of his earthly ministry. This is what Jesus was spending his time doing on earth. He was going places. He was going to people. And he was engaging in conversation. We're seeing, we see that he's teaching, he's proclaiming. He had a specific kind of ministry that was very public and very spoken and, and very with crowds and so forth. But, but he's going to people and he's connecting with them. He has this purpose in mind that I'm going to go face to face with people who do not know God. And so he's our priority example in what this looks like. Um, he brings good news. 
when he's doing this. That's his, that's his purpose behind all this. I want to bring good news, the gospel of the kingdom, he calls it. He wants people to know that God is breaking into this world with deliverance from sin and from all of its terrible effects on people. And that's the news that Jesus demonstrates. This kingdom is coming. He demonstrates it with, with, with doing things, with healing every disease and every affliction. So the people see that and they go, wow, something new is happening here. And Jesus says, that's the kingdom that's coming. And let me tell you about that kingdom and how you get into it. Well, we know the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus came to speak about was that he himself is bringing it. The, gospel, the, the kingdom comes in this person, Jesus, who is God the Son. Uh, God with us, God in human flesh, come to undo the evil that corrupts us ever since Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, and his supreme act that accomplishes this deliverance is his death on the cross. That's where he paid the penalty that our sins deserve. That's where he satisfied God's justice for our wrongdoing. That's where he made atonement for our guilt and opened up the way for God to be merciful to us, to forgive, to, to heal, to make all things new, something that will be complete in the new heaven and the new earth. And all who trust in Jesus as their sin bearer, they enter into that experience in part now, but in full in, in the day to come. That's the message Jesus brought into the world. That's why he went through the cities and the villages and he connected with people because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, according to Luke. So this is where disciple-making starts. It starts with movement toward someone. It starts with intentionally connecting with them. You take an interest in their well-being and you begin a conversation. Now, that might seem obvious, but I know there are lots of reasons we don't always want to do this. We can go through a life with our heads down, so to speak, not really wanting to connect with people unless we absolutely have to. Uh, for one, uh, there are reasons for this, I think, but for one, we're just busy, and we just want to get on to the next thing and not have to interact with anybody who's going to slow us down. You know, we've got five things on the agenda. If I stop and talk to you, I'm only going to get four done. So let's just not talk and let me move on. So example, you go to the grocery store. Uh, what do you want to do? You want to get your list? You want to buy that and then leave, right? They don't have any other purpose for the grocery store but that. So that's why we have these self-checkout lanes, right? Because there, you don't have to interact with anybody. <laughs> or maybe you go through the cashier line, and, and, but they're, cashier, you know, they're, they're checking out everything, and you're standing there, and you don't intend to engage in conversation. Um, just, okay, tell me what the total is. Here's my card. You know, we can be like so busy. We don't really think this is an opportunity to connect with somebody. This is just an opportunity to get my thing done. Busyness keeps us from connecting. And related to that is an assumption that there's no space in my life to engage in new relationships 
that might take a lot of time. You know, my life is already pretty full with just the responsibilities I have now. So how am I going to fit in, like, pursuing a non-believer and engaging in relationship with them uh, when I've already got more than I think I can do, right? And, and, and every new relationship represents an unknown quantity of your life, right? I mean, maybe if I start to get to know somebody, they're going to want me to start doing stuff. You know, will you watch my cat on weekends? Will you help me move furniture? Um, and, you know, will you go out with me with my friends to this thing? And it's not really a thing that I want to do. I mean, we can imagine a whole universe of things that are going to take time if I open that door to, to connecting with you, with this new unknown person. And who knows what drama is behind their life story, things that I'm not going to be able to handle. This is where faith has to come in. Do you believe that God gives grace for what he assigns to us? That he'll supply the time, the resources, the strength to go and make disciples? Do we really believe he would do that? Or that he'll just say, hey, go do it, but you're on your own. <laughs> we don't have a God like that. We have a God who, who says, I want something to do, I want you to do something, and I'm going to provide for it. That's the kind of God that we have. Um, I think it was John Newton who identified with, and he appropriated the blessing uh, that Moses gave to Asher at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, when he's speaking to the people of Israel. Moses said this to Asher, this was his blessing, as your days, so shall your strength be. In other words, what God calls for, he will provide for. God has orchestrated your days, and you will have strength for those days. And if those days include going and making disciples, then you will have strength for doing that. As your days, so shall your strength be. God provides for what he calls for. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to change your whole lifestyle in order to start connecting with people and and starting that first step of making disciples. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to start going down to the park every Saturday and, and connect with strangers, though that's certainly one way to do it. But you can do this as you go about your normal life. As you're going through life, you are connecting. You're seeing people, at least. They're there. I know COVID has, has shut a lot of things down, it's funny, Mary and I were just gearing up for how we were going to like start interacting with non-Christians, and we were going to start hiking with a meetup group. You know, there's an app for this, and so you can find anybody who wants to go hike Mount Fal Falcon on a Sunday or whatever, and you can say, yeah, I'm in, and then you can go spend four hours with non-Christians. So we were all ready to do this, and then COVID happened, and so the whole thing was blown apart. <laughs> we're like, okay, now what are we going to do? Um, so yeah, that's shut down a lot of things, but hey, you're still in the world, right? I mean, we still go to stores. Some people are still working in a building. Um, most of us, I don't think, are. We're still at home, but some people are going out into the world, and, and you're getting from to and fro, right? And things are loosening up, so, and they will eventually loosen up. So we are still involved with people. They're in our life, but are we doing anything in those moments to actually make a connection or or are we just seeing faces in the background? Um, one thing I've been trying to do to practice this, because 
Uh, I admit it. I'm the goal-oriented, heads-down guy trying to get his do list done. That's me. I know that. So when I'm at the store now, if I'm in a line with a cashier, I'll just drop a question. Just say, so how's your day going? Right? I don't in that moment have any idea that I'm going to share the gospel with that person. I just need to start connecting. I just need to get practiced in caring about the person who's serving me right now. And so I can ask, How, how's your day going? Very simple. The more we do that, the more we take opportunities to just ask simple questions of people, the more we can start to know their story and, and, uh, and, and learn how to make connections. I, that's actually a uh, advice from a book, Honest Evangelism, by Rico Tice. Um, he says, you know, evangelism starts with just asking questions about where people are at. Ask, ask them stuff. People are willing to talk. Um, this is a person made in the image of God in front of you. Surely they're worth learning about. Some set of circumstances placed them into your life at this moment. And so God had a purpose in that. What, what, what's the purpose? Let's find out. So if we want to make disciples, it starts by being intentional to connect. That means engaging in conversation. That means being interested in people's lives. And the more that we know about somebody, the more they can become more than just a face in the crowd. They can start to become somebody that we really care about, which leads to the second thing that Jesus did, which is that Jesus saw. Jesus saw, verse 36 says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is a different kind of seeing than just awareness that people are in the room. Uh, It's observing. So like Sherlock Holmes said to Watson, you see, but you do not observe. The observing is deeper. It's seeing behind the thing that you see. Jesus observed. He saw more than just faces. He saw people on two different levels, according to this. For one, he saw their obvious troubles. They were harassed, and they were helpless, it says. Another way to say that is that their lives were full of trouble, and they didn't have any answers for their trouble. They don't have any ultimate protection, no real relief. That's why they're crowding all around him. They hear that he's this miracle worker. Uh, Here's a guy who gets things done. Here's a guy who has solutions, uh, who can fix what's wrong with us. So crowds are thronging. They, They want relief from pain and suffering. And they know Jesus can give it to them. So, so they, they, he sees that behind this crowd forming is, is desires, cravings, histories, um, disappointments, frustrations, fears, all of that. He sees behind their faces and he sees that story that's there. These are harassed people. They are helpless. So he sees their obvious troubles things that we could see also. Um, But also he sees on a spiritual level. He sees their condition with other eyes. They They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A certain kind of harassment and helplessness. One of the scripture's most frequent metaphors for mankind is sheep. 
And sheep have two sources of trouble. They wander away from safety, <laughs> from the safekeeping of the flock, get themselves into trouble that way. They also have predators who are coming after them. And that's what people are like in a spiritual level. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's a spiritual departure from God. That's a turning away from our maker and feeling like I can handle life by myself. So there is a, a personal guilt behind our life situation. There are many things that we end up in because we brought it on ourselves by our separation from God. We also have a predator, though, in the devil, whom Jesus compares to a wolf who snatches the sheep and scatters them in John chapter 10. Or like Peter says, he is a lion prowling about, seeking someone to devour that's why sheep is a good illustration of who we are. We do have an adversary in the devil. We do have a predator, and we also have our own personal guilt because we wander away from God and his good ways. And that's what we need to be rescued from. And so Jesus sees the people, and that's what's in his mind. We're, we are harassed and helpless like these sheep that the Bible speaks of, the ones who don't have a shepherd. And he comes as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and he wants them in the fold. So the spiritual condition behind the obvious troubles is something to be seen if we have eyes to see it. This sight, this, this observation of the physical and the spiritual condition of people, it did something to Jesus. It had an impact on him. It, it brought out a response from him. And we see what it is. It says he had compassion. He had compassion for them. The Greek word for compassion is rooted in the word for inner parts or bowels. So you might just say that when Jesus saw these crowds, he had a gut-level reaction to it. I mean, it, it hit him personally, emotionally. The way it would hurt, hurt, hit you if, like, one of your children was in deep trouble. You wouldn't just be passive about that. You wouldn't just throw that off. That would, that would hit you, you know, and it, and it hit Jesus. He had this gut reaction to the fact that people really were harassed and helpless. His heart went out, and how could it not? His whole mission into the world was to save sinners. And that's a reaction the Lord wants us to have. Compassion. Be affected by the realities behind what we see in people. We start to see people the way Jesus did, and we start to become impacted the way he was. As we become more like him, we start to see people as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and the compassion starts to well up and flow. So let's just ask ourselves a question. Heart, heart work here. When you see people in the workplace, in the stores, in your neighborhood, in the city, do you see people that way? Do we see the trouble behind the trouble? Do we see the spiritual 
state that they're in, the desperate state that they're in, and is it, does it hit us? Do, do we have a, a gut reaction to it? Um, I know I don't always, and this is something I need to work on. Because more often, I think, we might see people as a number of things. Maybe as a threat, because on their car is a, bumper, a political bumper sticker for the candidate you don't like. <laughs> and we might say, they're, they're a threat to me because they're on the other side. Or maybe we see people just as problems. Because their personal drama, maybe their consumption of weed, maybe their same-sex attraction, we look at that and we go, I don't know how to deal with that. That's a problem I can't solve. I don't want to touch that. And so we don't have a gut-level reaction that goes out to them. Or maybe we just see people as part of the landscape. You know, neither good nor bad, they're just there. Um, there's an account in Mark chapter 8 that uses this kind of language, landscape-type language, to deal with how we see people. Jesus heals a man of blindness in this two-step process. He lays his hands on the man's eyes, and he asks if the man can see anything. And the man says, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And so Jesus lays his hands on, their, on his eyes again, and his, his sight is fully restored, and it says he saw everything clearly. Well, we can see people like trees, just part of the landscape, um, nothing really important there. And Jesus wants to give us a second touch and see clearly what he sees, that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We grow in this by making connections with people. You just, you just can't have compassion on someone that you, have no, you don't know anything about, um, that you haven't connected with, haven't taken any time to know their story. But you can have a gut, gut reaction if you start to see the, the real them, the person behind the face and the story behind that person. Then you can start to interact and engage your heart. And so again, we start with questions. Um, a good one right now because of the times we're in. The pandemic, for example. You could just ask somebody, how are you doing with the pandemic? How has that impacted your life? I think people would be willing to talk about that because everybody's going through it. <laughs> we have a common story there, right? We're all going through this. So there's just a, a point of contact. Or maybe uh, they've got an interesting tattoo, right? I mean, they paid good money to have that on their arm permanently, right? So there's a reason for that. So, hey, that's an interesting tattoo. Is there a story behind that? You know, you, that people are willing to talk, I think, about things that matter. So there's just ways that we can just start taking an interest in people that will then lead to, okay, now I know your story. Now I'm engaged emotionally. Now my heart's engaged. And now I'm more willing to actually care and do some things for you as a fellow image bearer of God, as a fellow human being. And so Dan's going to be speaking to that next week. That's the care part of the C4 series. But let's finish up today with what we can learn about connecting with people for the purpose of making disciples. The last point comes from what Jesus said. Verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So this is both an encouragement and an assignment in what Jesus says here. I'll state the encouragement this way, which is that people are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ as we go and make disciples. They, they will. There will be people who do not know Jesus today, who are not followers, who will become followers. Guaranteed. Jesus says it's going to happen. He says the harvest is plentiful. Not, it might be someday, uh, when conditions get better. No, he says there is a harvest. It is plentiful. What we need now is workers. But there's a harvest there. He doesn't say the planting is plentiful. As if to say, there's a lot of work to be done to get out there and try so hard to make something grow. Now, there is work to be done. He does call for laborers, right? But he says their harvest is, it exists, and it is plentiful. Um, There are people who are not believers who are going to hear the gospel and believe it. Fruit of salvation is already growing. I think of an apple orchard in the fall. Now, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, and we had a, an orchard right next to our house. It had about a dozen apple trees, all these different varieties. And uh, I remember some of the names. There was Duchess. That was my favorite. That was a tree that we could actually swipe an apple off of when we were coming in from the fields on the hay wagon. And that was a wonderful apple. <laughs> Duchess, there was Transparent, there was Wolf River, there was Macintosh. And my grandpa was the guy who took care of all these things. He was the quintessential farmer, and he knew how to get things to grow. And so this apple orchard was, like, just amazingly good. And they were coming off those trees by the bushel. Well, all we had to do was go out and gather them in. You know, the hard work of growing it has already happened. We just gathered it in. Gathered it in. Jesus says there's a harvest out there. I've already sown, I've already caused growth, now I want you to go out and reap it. It's plentiful. It's not just one or two. There's a lot. Now that probably refers to a worldwide harvest of the gospel. We know that there can be hard areas and there can be fruitful areas. Sometimes thousands of people come to Christ in, in a place, in a country, and sometimes there's not much happening. Seems like hardly any growth or any fruit at all. So yes, that's probably the worldwide harvest he's talking about, but there is a plentiful harvest to be had. There are many more people who are going to put their faith in Jesus. And so he says this for our, for our encouragement, because when we look at the culture, that we're in. We might want to think nobody wants to become a Christian anymore. You know, that's on the wane. That's going downhill. Now everybody is uh, against Christ, against the church. It's a whole new game. Um, And now all the church can really do is just hunker down and try to survive and ride this thing out. No use trying to go out there and tell anybody about the gospel because they're not going to hear it. Jesus says, Oh, yes, they will. Yes, there is a plentiful harvest out there. Do not forget that conversion is always the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Whether it seems like there's 
total resistance or lots of, of interest. Either way, it's always a miracle when anybody puts their faith in Jesus Christ. So the Lord's arm is not too short to save, according to Isaiah 59.1. He saved a Paul. Who would have ever thought Paul the Apostle was going to be, you know, Paul, Saul, not the Apostle yet, Saul, the persecutor of the church, the enemy of Christians. Who would have ever thought one day he was going to be preaching the gospel? But he was, and he did. And he became one of the greatest preachers of the gospel. Because it's always a supernatural work. God's arm is not too short to save. He can overcome all resistance. And Jesus says he's going to do it. There's a plentiful harvest out there. Circumstances and culture make absolutely no difference to what he can do. So there's a harvest out there. And reality is, there. Life outside of Christ is not working for people. They might think that it is. They might, they might even have an enviable life. They might think they're doing fine, but deep down, people know what Solomon knew in Ecclesiastes, that apart from God, all of life is vanity and chasing after wind. And so the souls are restless. And those souls that Jesus is stirring up are restless to hear real answers, real hope. And Jesus is the only one who provides it. And so we'll never know what the harvest is going to be like in Aurora, Denver area until we actually go out, right? Who knows that it isn't plentiful right here? We won't know until we go out. And so that leads to our assignment. Jesus pray, says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's interesting to note here that he doesn't say, go out into the harvest and gather it. That's not where he starts. There is a going, but he doesn't start with the going. He starts with praying. The first thing you do when you know that there's a harvest, pray. <laughs> Pray earnestly, not just a little bit, but devote yourself to this. Go after God again and again and again and say, send out laborers. That's the only thing holding this back, is the laborers to gather it. It's just a way of saying, we depend on the Lord for this to happen. Now, it's not just we get an idea in our head, hey, yeah, you're right, I should do that. I'm going to go start saving some people. No, he says, yeah, I want you to go out and gather a harvest, but remember, it's my harvest. <laughs> I'm growing it. Send, ask for laborers to be sent into it. We depend on the Lord. He's the only one who empowers us for witness. He's the only one who goes before us and and makes the soil good he's the one who performs the miracle of conversion so start with praying and that's what our holy fire worship nights have been about you know those kind of came to a crashing halt there when we had to all stay apart um, but we intend to bring those back but that was the centerpiece of it is that we're praying for the lord to move in us and in our city to bring people to faith to show his glory to show his power. And so that's what we're going to bring that back, but that's why we're doing those. But also you don't have to wait for that. 
in your personal life, your personal devotion, add, add this component as you're praying about needs and so forth. Add this component. Lord, send laborers into this city. Make me one of them. Be willing to be the answer to your own prayer. And so actually we have a, 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 an aid for that. We have a little card. Uh, here's another thing you can't see probably on Zoom. <laughs> but it's a little card that says C4, and there's a place to put four names. You can put a name of a family member, a friend, a neighbor, or someone that you haven't met yet. So that's an unknown name, but pray for that person. And you just start praying John 5, 24 for them. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. We start praying that people will really hear his word, so laborers to say it, that they'll believe that word and receive eternal life and not come into judgment. Practical way to start praying right here. So we actually have a bunch of these cards out on the table for those who are here in the room. It's also one of the attachments in the e-bulletin, so you can print it out yourself. But these are business size, so they fit in your wallet. And um, on our, they're here in the copper room and, and in the building, and we spread them all out so that you don't have to pick up one that somebody else touched. Okay? So... This is germ-free prayer opportunity right here. <laughs> we ask God to awaken people to their need for Jesus. We ask Him to create openness to the gospel. We ask Him to save specific people that we know by name, and we ask Him to help us to be the answer to those prayers and to step out in faith and say something. Jesus would not make our prayer an assignment unless it was critical to bringing in the harvest. And it is. It is critical. It's the key to the harvest's success. So let me just close with this. We have it on Christ's word that as we connect with people, um, as we have compassion on people, as we pray for people to come to faith in Christ, there will be a harvest. In time, the Lord is going to add to our number those who are being saved. And then we'll get to experience that joy that, that Dan was talking about a few weeks ago, about the lost coin, the lost sheep. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over a hundred righteous who do not need to. There's joy there. There's joy. Nothing happening in the world can prevent this harvest from coming in. The laborers go out. In fact, I think the tumult of these times is actually sowing seeds for people to be ready to hear the gospel because they know things are messed up and we're not getting good answers on how to fix it. So we can ask God to be using that to create that desire that we can then answer with the gospel. Jesus is the answer. So let's connect with people so they can find out how he is the answer. Let's pray. So we ask it, Lord, send out laborers into the harvest. You have people, you have many people in this city. We haven't met them yet, but you've already met them. You've already done something there. So give us the courage and the compassion needed to speak to them about their souls, about where life really is. Help us to start doing the basic things. 
the asking of the questions, the getting involved in people's life. And as we do that, Lord, give us time, give us resources, give us strength, give us wisdom to be the means by which people come to know you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.